Welcome to another inspirational podcast from Abundant Life Church, where we believe that God is a good God. He loves you and he wants to bless you. Now join us as we dive into today's message. We've had the, the privilege to, to be a part of some incredible things in our lifetime. But I don't know when we've been in a better position, a better place to see God's presence and power as we are right now. I think as a church, as we begin to pull together, as we begin to pull it all back together again, then the, the dream and the vision that this church was birthed for about reaching South Florida with a message that God is a good God, he loves you, he's going to bless you. If there ever was a message that needed to be preached in regards to that, it's now. When you look at what's going on in our school systems, when you look at what's going on in our, our uh, political arena, when you look at what's going on with our, our cultures and the, in the, in the, in the, the racism and things of that nature that's in our nation, when you look at the hatred and you look at the anger, uh, and most people, you know, they're good people. They, it's just that you get caught up into things sometimes. And, and when you don't have any direction, it's difficult. A lot of times I find people are, are very insecure in a lot of areas of their lives. And a lot of people feel like that nobody cares or nobody wants to care. And so it's fueled by what's going on in our society today. We've developed a whole mindset that you can't feel good about yourself or something's wrong with you. That you can enjoy what you have because somebody else might not have what you've got. Consequently, you should not enjoy it. And, and I don't understand that mindset at all because God's not a respecter of persons. And God will honor each and every person that will call upon his name. I, I, was, I was, you know, just going through my mind, the people in the, through the years that I had the privilege to meet, you know, and I, and I think about, you know, people say, well, you don't understand the, the people that are in poverty. But I, I understand the message that will get them out of poverty. See, when we went to Thailand, we went to a group called the Aka tribe years ago, 1992. They're a tribe that was a people that were disowned by the Thai government. They didn't want to recognize them. They, 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 uh, they were on the border of Myanmar, and they did not, that government would not recognize them. They were a people that nobody cared about. Their villages and things had been ransacked by the child traffickers. And they were, they were taking the kids. I mean, it was amazing what was going on. And a missionary came to me and he said, would you mind going up and preaching and being with us and just minister to these people? I said, certainly. So I will never forget, we're riding up the side of the mountain up to where these village people were in this dirt gravel road hoping you don't fall off the side of the mountain. And he turns to me, he says, now what are you going to teach them? So I'm going to teach them seed time and harvest. He said, these people have got nothing. What do you mean you're going to teach them? Well, let, let's talk about, I said, you, you don't understand. I can't talk about the love of God without teaching seed time and harvest. God so loved the world he gave his only begotten son. It's a basic principle. And so we went up and we spent five days. We, we spent morning, afternoon, and night. Literally, we taught almost nine hours a day. I've never been so tired in my whole life and worn out. So hot in Thailand, it's just, it, it was just horrible as far as the weather, the, the getting used to the heat. But when we got to about the fourth day, they, they came in and they began to, as they came in to see us, they began to come in and they would lay rocks on the platform. 
We didn't have a platform, but we're the little podium. We were sitting up there. They, they had the palm fronds that laid out like that. We were standing on this little thing, and they were, they were laying rocks on it. And then all of a sudden, there would be a banana. It's crazy. And so I turned to the missionary. I said, what's going on? He said, well, you've been teaching about giving. They've got nothing to give. So they've been picking up rocks and polishing them and cleaning them so they have something to give. Now, they're living in these huts that are made with the, with the palm fronds, things of that nature. They're on dirt floors. Their bathroom is a ditch dug out back. They have to go down to carry water back. They have no water source at all. And they're bringing rocks and occasional banana. And I said, wow. So we went back the following year, and we taught again on the same subject. And, thing, you know, and then something happened that we couldn't get back there for about three years. Right at three years. And uh, I was over in Thailand, and we were doing some other things. And we'd been now we'd been doing some other things that we hadn't gone back to see the Aka tribe. So now it's been a total of a little longer than that, about four or five years. I hadn't been back to see him. And the missionary said, you've never gone back to see what, what's going on with the Aka tribe. I said, no, I'd like to go. He said, well, we'll just set, we'll set a couple of days aside. We'll go up in the mountains. I'll let you take you to where they're living. I said, great. So we get into trucks and stuff, and we're going up there. And he says, by the way, he says, the Thai government has recognized them as a people group. I said, really? He says, yeah, their kids can go to school now and learn how to read and write. And, and before, they weren't allowed to because they were not a part of the group. I said, wow. He says, yeah, and the, and the government has moved them and given, some, given them their own land to live on. Wow. So we get up there, and we're going to the mountain. All of a sudden, we get in this one area, and he drives in. I said, what is this area? Because there were, there were huts, but they had tin roofs. They were on wooden stilts. They had wooden floors. I said, what is going on? He says, oh, you'll find out when you meet with the chieftain and all the leaders, elders of the tribe. So we go in, and we meet, and we go in this special room they had set aside where they all would meet. I never get in, and we sat down on the floor because that's what they do. And they began to tell me how they began to apply the principles. Now, these are people that their kids are being trafficked. Their lives are being destroyed. They have no visible income because they have no education, no training. These are people that you would think you don't teach them seed time and harvest. You just let them know God loves you, God loves you, God loves you. And that's true. But don't teach God loves them without teaching them how he loves them. He gave his only begotten son. God did something to demonstrate his love. And when you enter into the understanding of giving, you're demonstrating value to wherever you're giving it to. And so we're talking, and they said, well, since you were here last, and by this time it had been over five years, and they said, uh, you know, the government's done this, and they moved us to this land, and by the way, we have a river, we have a water source right here at our backyard. And I noticed, I said, we, I see motorcycles out there. I even see a couple of trucks. They said, oh, yes, we have been blessed beyond measure. They said, we got involved in things now that we were accepted by the government. We were able to get jobs. We were able to work. We were able to do this. We were able to do that. And, and I just looked at them, and I said, how in the world did y'all do this? And the chieftain looked at me, and he said, you're asking me? You're the one who taught us how to do this. 
It's not the messenger, it's the message. So I don't take credit, I just happen to be the messenger. But it's the message that transforms lives. And last week, or the 4th of July, when we began to teach on the freedom, talking about the freedom offering, it's the message that will change your life. It's not the messenger. And by the way, what came in that offering so far right now is a little better than $150,000. Oh, come on, church. And, of course, you know, preachers just preach so they can take it all to themselves. I want to thank you all for... for Come on, guys. I don't touch it. I don't mess with it. I don't do anything with it. It's all going right back into the kingdom ministry. There's a tithe that's going into that. We've got missionaries that are going to be blessed with that. We've got things we're going to build in this building that we've been put off for a number of years that now we can get done. Minister Sean will tell you more about those things at a later date. That is exciting. But what's more exciting isn't the fact of the offering that you brought, but it's the representation that that offering brought forth before God. And we begin to teach on that, if y'all remember, in the book of Genesis chapter 15, we begin to see that after all these things, God came to Abraham in a vision. Everybody say vision. vision. Now, it's important we see that because in a few moments that it'll fall right into place for you. But he came to him after he had brought and given tithe to Melchizedek. Several things happened in the 14th chapter. Number one, he had to rescue Lot, his, his nephew and them. He defeated the kings, and then he came back and he met Melchizedek, and he gave him tithe of all. Then he went before the king, and he said, King, he says, I'll not allow you to give me anything lest you say you made me rich, which is a mindset here. And the Christians have, and I'll get into that too later. Christians have a hard time. You can look at the person next to you and say, Jesus became poor that you might be made rich. Now, I'm going to give you a description on that in a moment over in 2 Corinthians over there in the 8th chapter. I'll give it to you in a moment. But here's the point I want to point out is, here's what we've taught in the church. I'm rich in, in, in the presence of God. I'm rich in love. I'm rich. That word rich means stuff. It actually means material blessing. Jesus took on our poverty. That we, why is that so? Because Jesus, when he created mankind, he said, be fruitful, multiply, and replenish. It is in your DNA to be successful. No one has been born to fail. We're taught to fail. The world system is set up for our failure to try and disprove who our God is. Our God takes pleasure in our prosperity. Now, it's important we begin to understand something here. That he, after he did that, he declared God to be the most high God, the possessor of heaven and earth. So he said, number one, I've got to make sure I've given my tithe, which is holy unto God. And when you bring your tithe before God, you make covenant with God. Everybody say covenant. Amen. Now when he came forth, he said, when he, he said that now God is the most high God. He's the possessor of heaven and earth. In other words, God, only God is my source. I said, only God is my source. I got to deal with a bunch of stuff, but at the end of the day, only God is my source. And then he goes before the king, and the king's going to bless him with all kinds of stuff. And he says, just keep it, lest you go out and tell people that I'm rich because of you. Don't depend upon anybody to cause you to be successful. God, the most high God, is your source for success. 
It said, after these things, after he tithed, after he declared who his God was, after he refused to let the world system take credit for anything that's in his life, God came to him in a vision. I said, God came to him in a vision. Tremendous story. Y'all can look this up later because we're going to use this to get to our thought for the day. And God began to talk to him about the fact that you remember back in Genesis chapter 12, and he didn't say Genesis chapter 12, but you remember back when I met with you originally and told you to leave your homeland, the Ur of the Chaldees, and go to a place that I was going to put you to, take you to. If you'll go there, if you'll listen to me, and we know this is obedience better than sacrifice. And the Bible says in Isaiah, if we are willing and obedient, we'll eat the good of the land. So he was obedient. He left and he went to this foreign land. And God said, now because you did that, I'm going to bless you. And I'm going to cause you to be a blessing. And all nations of the earth will be blessed. And your children, your, your heritage is going to be used to bless all nations forever and ever and ever. But now here we are years later and Abraham does not have a child. But God had given him a promise. Everybody say promise. I got news for you. You can have the promises till the cows come home and get nothing. I'm going to teach you how to get out of the promise to the possession. So God comes to him and he says to him, what about this child I've been talking to you about? He says, well, I don't have a child. You promised me a child. You gave me a promise, but I don't have one. So I guess one of my heirs, one of my, my servants there, they'll be one of them, they'll be my heir. They'll be my heir. God says, no, they won't go out and look at the stars. Abraham goes out, he looks at the stars, and God says to him, so shall your children be. Now, there's a purpose in that, is that God had to have create a visual for Abraham. See, there's a lot of people who have a vision, but they don't have a visual. I've got a vision of doing something. Okay, but I can't visualize how it's going to happen. So God began to let him look at the stars. He'd walk out every night and look at the stars and saw his kids. He began to visualize. He began to, he began to identify that. I can't count the stars. He said, so my, all of a sudden, something began to happen to him. And it said he believed God, and God counted him for righteousness. That he began to believe what God said. He's counting these stars and all of this. And all of a sudden, he's visualizing what God said. And now this promise is becoming a living reality to him because he he's visualizing some things. So then he goes back to God. And we talked about this several weeks ago. He goes back to God two verses later in chapter 15 in verse 6 or 7 right in there. He goes back to him. And what does he say? He says, God, I believe you, but how do I know you're going to do this? Whew. It's not enough to have a dream or a vision and be able to visualize it unless you know how to bring it to pass. He says, how do I, how do I know you're going to do this? And so God says, I want you to take it. I want you to give me an offering. I'm simplifying today right now. I don't want to get into all the details about the birds and how he cut them and all of that. But he says, I wanna, I'm going to have you give me an offering. Now, we find out later about that offering and it's important we, we see this and read it because, you see, later on, it says this, that when he did all of these things and God walked amongst the offering and received it, it says, on the same day the Lord made covenant with Abraham or with Abram. Now, it's important we talked about before we, we got into the freedom 
Sunday on the 4th of July that the, the covenant we made with God is with a tithe. But now the covenant that God makes with us is because we gave an offering. You see, the offering is not mandated. Ooh. The tithe is, is not even an option. It's holy unto God. 10% of what I bring in. You say, well, I don't believe it's New Testament. Well, you don't know your Bible. Jesus is after order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek was the high priest that received tithe. The high priest that received tithe. The apostle Paul dealt with the, uh, in the book of Romans, he dealt with the ch church there and he talked about their sacrilege, which what he was talking about, the word sacrilege means you've robbed the temple. Well, in Malachi chapter three, God says, you've robbed me of tithe and offering. So we know that tithe is of the New Testament because Jesus' position is to receive tithe after the order of Melchizedek. We know that he said that sacrilege, we've been robbing the temple in the new covenant. We haven't been bringing the tithe. See, a lot of Christians, they get, they get saved, hallelujah, I'm on my way to heaven, but I don't have to tithe because that's old covenant. No, that's as new covenant as it gets. He says, the tithe is holy unto me. This is not yours, it's mine. It's because I've given you the ability that you can earn and make and do what you can do. Therefore, that first 10% is mine. If the first be holy, the whole lump is holy. If the first lump is holy, the whole thing is holy. So the tithe is what makes things right with God. It's his. I'm a steward of that. We see a type and shadow of that in the New Testament, or I mean the Old Testament. And when God created heavens and earth and he put mankind in the garden, he says, of every tree you can touch, but don't touch that one. That's mine. It's holy unto me. And the first time they touched it, what happened to them? They got separated from God. The reason a lot of Christians are not having the fullness of the kingdom of God manifested in their life is because they don't tithe. Say you're trying to raise money. I'm not taking an offering. I'm trying to raise money. I'm trying to educate you. Truth sets you free. We can get into philosophy and we get into all kind of ideologies, but the Word of God teaches very clearly on this subject. Now, because he had tithed, what does tithe do? Malachi chapter 3, verse 10 over there, it says that, of course, when you rob me with tithe and offering, he says, you can return unto me, I'll return unto you. Bring all your tithe into the storehouse and see if I will not open you the windows of heaven. Windows of heaven and I will pour you out a blessing. How we've read it is God is up in heaven pouring something out of a window. But God is not foolish. Windows are not for pouring, they're for seeing. I said windows are not for pouring, they're for seeing. He says, I'll open the windows of heaven. Pour out a blessing means, the word pour out a blessing means that I'm going to begin to pour into you this revelation of understanding. And once you understand it and, and have a grasp of it, I will declare it so. The word, and part of blessing, the word blessing there is declaration. I will decree this thing so. Amen. So the tithe, according as we see it over in Genesis now, in verse 15, after this, after he gave tithe, God came to him in a vision so now that he could see what he'd never seen before. And now he says, well, I can see it. I have a revelation of it, but how can I get it into my life? He says, give me an offering now because you understand the tithe you give to me makes covenant with me, but you now give me an offering means I've got to make covenant with you. Well, let's look at that a moment. If the tithe is holy unto the Lord's and as his and it's not ours, 
When we give him the tithe, he says that is a covenant between you and me. Well, the tithe is the Lord's. You're giving back to God what's already his, right? Now watch this now. And when you give back to God what's already his, he says we have a covenant. But now when you take an offering which is yours, and now you give yours to God, God has to make covenant with you. See, when God gives you his and you honor him, he makes covenant with you. But when you take yours and you honor him, he's got to make covenant with you. Fascinating story. But in the middle of all of this stuff, it says that, I love, kind of like a lot of you in church, Abram fell asleep. He went in a trance. You're like, some people fall asleep and go to trance in church. We, we had that goes. Don't look around. Don't, don't bother them. They're okay. Might have had a long week. Let them rest. Hallelujah. See, because all the music stopped, everything's quieted down now. So some of them are just, they're just nodding off. And that doesn't bother me at all. <laughs> and in this trance, God walks amongst these offerings. Okay, but now watch this now. But before he went into a trance and before God could walk amongst the offering, something took place. It says the fowls of the air came Ooh. I said the fowls of the air came and he had to chase them away. Yeah. It said when they came, he had to chase them away. Look at, look at this. And when the vultures came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. Now that's a unique word because so the word vulture is a bird of prey. The original uh, language it talks about that, that, that they, they are those that will swoop down. They'll swoop down upon rail. They'll scream. They'll shriek. Whew. They dart in and out greedily. I love that concept. So the fowls of the air, when they come down, if you're down there and you're chasing away, they're shrieking trying to get you to leave. They want what you're offering to God. They're trying to steal what you're offering to God. And so they're trying, making all this noise and they're coming down and they're trying to intimidate you and trying to get you to stop and trying to get away. Don't you give that offering to God. We want it. Wow. <laughs> but all of a sudden, Abram said, nah. I don't think so. I'm going to, now he didn't have one of these. This is one I've had made. We gave him out. Vulture chaser. How do I get one of these? With a freedom offering. I want one. Freedom offering. You want, yeah. He was in a place and he's making covenant with God, which means I had to give this offering. So now, in other words, when I give this offering, I got to chase the vultures away. I've got to get those things away. Some of you, get, listen, some of you gave a seed on, on, on that day and already the enemy's come to you. Some of you have lost a job. Some of you have had people come against you. Some people said you're crazy for giving that kind of money. And you got to learn to go, get, get, get away from my offering. Stop it. Just stop. Just leave, leave me alone. Just leave me alone. Stop it. Well, they won't like me. I don't care. Get away. I don't want somebody to like me and steal what I've got. 
I don't want someone to like me and cause me to miss what God has for me. There's a lot more people that'll like me, that'll stand with me than those that try and steal what I've got. You're not taking what I've got. It's a funny thing. And so we, we went into this deal understanding that one of the things that we are required of God to do is chase the vultures away. Write this down if you're taking notes. If you're going to be a vulture chaser and you're going to enter into what God has plan, planned for you and the promise that he's given to you that you have a revelation of, you have to have a revelation. Number one, there had to be a revelation first. He had, he had listen, he had a promise, but he didn't, he didn't see it. He didn't have a revelation of it. There's people sitting in the church today that you'll quote scriptures, but you don't have a revelation of it. I've had people talk to me about how they love God and how God's been to them, and then they'll talk out of the other side of their mouth. They go, but I can't understand. I'm going through all of this, and I'm losing this, and nothing's working out right, and I, don't, I just don't understand. What you don't understand is because you're double-minded and unstable in all your ways. See, it don't matter. You just need to get this in your spirit. Whether I'm in the pit or not, God is still with me. Whether I'm in the lion's den or not, God is still with me. Come on, say with me. Whether I'm in the belly of, of a fish or not, God is still with me. Amen. It doesn't matter where I am. It matters do I believe and have a revelation of who my God is and what he said. Because what he said, he says that circumstance will change. Amen. Look not at that which is seen. Look at that which is not seen. That which is seen is temporal. That which is not seen is eternal. Stop allowing your circumstance to cause you. Don't allow the vulture of circumstance to steal what God has tried to give you a revelation of. When I come to church, I want whoever is teaching or preaching to enhance what God has said to me. Now, there are times that they say things and I, wait a minute, I gotta examine myself. But it's all about me being able to fulfill my purpose and destiny in the kingdom. I, I need to be challenged but also need to be taught. Church is not a place that you come to feel good. Church is a place you come to learn and to grow and develop and to take what God has said to you and let it begin to materialize in your life. Now, don't get me wrong. You're going to feel good in church. But sometimes it's not about that. Sometimes I've left church and I've, 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 in the natural, I felt absolutely horrible because I got to get some stuff straight. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. Other times I leave on a cloud. But I don't live for the cloud or for the other. I live to know more about who God is, what he said, and how I can live in what he's given to me. Everybody here has something from God for their lives. You are fearfully and wonderfully made by God. He knew you before you were formed in your mother's womb. He chose you before the foundation of the world were laid. And he brought you in this world with purpose. And because you have purpose, there's something in you that God wants to get outside of you. In order to do that, he's got to begin to move you into that position where he can give you not just the promise, but he'll give you the revelation. We have a revelation, then there has to be a presentation. You're going to have to do something with what God shows you. Oh, I'm just waiting on the Lord, shame on you. 
Do something. Be busy. Occupy till the Lord returns. Be about my father's business. He t- go just read the, the book of Proverbs. They'll talk all about the lazy man. That the person who is active, the person who's working to work, somebody says, well, I don't know. Then get involved with somebody else and help their vision come to pass. What you make happen for others, God will make happen for you. Give, it shall be given back to you. Press down, shaking together, running over in good measure. Why, if, you don't have, if you don't know how to bring about what God spoke to you, then help somebody else find theirs and watch how God will begin to bring you into that understanding. There has to be a presentation. There has to be an involvement. The third thing is there's revelation, presentation, then there's an activation. An activation. Things begin to happen. And let me say this to you because this is where we're going to get into today because we're in a season right now, which I want to bring across today, is that we're in a season as of July the 4th on the freedom offering of manifestation. You need to get that. We'll get to that in just a moment. But we're in that season right now that God's going to begin to manifest things. But you have to realize this, that as you're moving towards that, you've got to begin to act on it before it happens. Calling those things would be not as though they are. Acting on those things. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Faith in the substance of things, what, what? Hope for the evidence of things not seen. I might not see it in the natural, but I got a revelation of God and the promise, and I've got to be able to act on this thing. I, I have to be active in what I'm doing. Amen. So many people want something from God, and I'm not being unkind, but we want something from God, but we don't want to get involved in church. I don't want to be involved in this. I want to be in the, I've already done. No, I just, I'm just here to hear from God. God's blessed me. Well, let me ask you something. Are you really happy where you are? Oh, I'm very happy. Fine. You're going to stay there for the rest of your life? My Bible says impossible if you're going to serve him. You're changed from glory to glory. So when you sit on your laurels and do nothing because you're happy with what you've got, then you're going to fall short when you stand before God when he says, what did you do with what I gave you? Hmm. Revelation, presentation, activation, and only then can you have manifestation. We're talking about the fact that and I want to get this into for this manifestation that in order to bring about manifestation, we know it requires a seed. I talked to you and I opened up today about the people over in Thailand, the Aka tribe. And now they had nothing, but they looked around and they found something. As we look at that in Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 through 18, we have a unique story. Being that now Abraham has, or Abram has his son. And God says to him something very unique. God says to him, he says, listen, now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abram, and he said, here am I. Then he said, take take now thy your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go into the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will tell you. That's a pretty strong statement. The word tested, let me help you with that first in the King James Bible. The original text and the original Hebrew word is not tested. He proved. In other words, God who's omniscient already knew what Abraham was going to do, but he needed to make a statement because this is a type and shadow of what God was going to do with his son. Oh, wow. 
And so God says, I want your one and only. The one you dreamed of, the one you went all the process, but now I want you to give him to me. And what he was doing, the word, like I said, he's proving something. Why, what, why would he have to prove anything? Because the first man, Adam, failed. And God's proving to the God of this world, there are people in this world that will still serve me in spite of you. And the only way he could make him understand was I'm going to require him to give the most precious thing that he possesses back to me. Of course, later on in Hebrews, we understand that Abram knew that he said if I had to sacrifice him, God would have to raise him back up because God said through him all the nations would be blessed. And that's why he was proving him and he wasn't testing him because Abraham already knew. See, when you already, oh, good Lord, help me. When you already know, I said, when you already have a revelation, oh, my Lord, you're on your way to manifestation. Hallelujah. And so he takes him up the mountain. Watch this now. He takes him up the mountain, and he tells all the servants to stay. He puts all the wood on his son, everything it takes for, for an offering and to build an altar and, to, and, to, and the wood for giving the offering, and he makes his son carry it. Uh, let me say something to you. That which you have is precious. If you don't put pressure on it, it'll never be what it was supposed to be. Pressure causes greatness to come forth. Oh, man, I'm, I'm going through, you can't believe what I'm going through. Praise God. You can't believe how hard it is. Oh, that's even better. This is so cool. Look where he's taking you. There's something you don't see that I'm not seen or ear heard, but God has prepared it for you, and he's just trying to get you through the process. You know, you can't turn coal into a diamond without pressure. So he's carrying his wood, and he says, where's the sacrifice? He says, God will provide, son. Builds the altar, lays his son on the altar. Now, I find it unique. I don't, I don't know. Maybe, maybe y'all don't, maybe. But it, evidently, the son was very obedient. Mm. That's, another, that's another story altogether. Because if you're going to be what God created you to be, you've got to learn something about obedience. The instructions I follow determine the future I possess. Okay. So he got on the altar and his father tied him up. And he took the sword back and the angel stayed his hand and said, look in the thicket. Oh, my God. Look, look, look over there. In the, yeah, there's a ram caught in the thicket. It's a fascinating story. But in this, we see something. As we look over to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 10, or chapter 9, the Bible says very clearly that God will give seed to the sower. Fascinating, isn't it? I said God will give seed to the sower. In verse 9, or verse 10 of chapter 9. 
that he supplies seed to the sower and bread for your food, supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. I want us to see something here. Now, as we look at this, in chapter 8 of the book of, of, of 2 Corinthians, in verse 5, or excuse me, verse 9, I want everyone to mark this in their Bible. And next time somebody talks to you about being blessed or about prosperity or about having stuff and trying to make you feel guilty, just take them to this verse. You know, let me pull up on the screen. Now, for you know the grace. Everybody say grace. Don't you love that word grace? And we've so, I'm so graced out with the teaching we've had in the world in the last few years. It's just grace. It's just grace. Gracie, Gracie, Gracie. They don't teach what grace means. They have a misconception. Grace is not given to people who are undeserving. We taught that, but it's not true. Grace is the empowerment of God that's given to a believer to be what he created them to be and do what he called them to do. It's an empowerment. It's not a free Oh, you know, I've got the grace of God. I don't have to do anything. I have God's grace. Oh, no. Faith without works is dead. Hello. If you don't build upon the foundation of Jesus Christ, you're not going to make it. Here it says his grace. Look at this. For you know the grace, the empowerment of God upon your life to be what he created you to be and do what he caused you to do of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might be made the empowerment of God is upon you for success. That's right. That's right. Now, I'm not telling you everybody's a millionaire. Don't, don't take me out of context. I'm not talking about you're going to have money flowing out of your pockets. What I'm saying is that he's empowered you that you will be incredibly successful in what you do. And consequently, the fruits of that success you have a right to, according to the writer in the book of Ecclesiastes. You have a right. If you have created it, you have a right to partake of it. Oh, I don't want anything for myself. How sad. I'm going to tell you why. Because if you don't want anything for yourself, that means you're going to limit me. When somebody tries to be so righteous and tries to be so spiritual that they totally take it out of context and go, I've got Jesus, I don't need anything else. Shame on you. Jesus didn't die on the cross, suffer the pains of hell and resurrected because he didn't want anything. He wanted a family for his father. He wanted every, not any to be lost, but all to be saved. He wanted something. You shall be entire, wanting nothing. How am I be entire, wanting nothing? I'm going to understand that by his empowerment, I can be successful to where all my wants are met. Thank you, Lord. Now, how does he do this? Well, we look over here and he says this in, in, in chapter 9, verse 6, that this I say to those who sow sparingly also reap sparingly. It's real simple. No big deal. You don't want to work hard? Then don't expect to get a, a good raise or a good paycheck. Don't look for a bonus. Oh, wow. But he who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. In other words, if I do everything liberally, 
I give my time. I give my talent. I give my energy. I give my finance. I'm constantly looking for a way that I can bless somebody else. I can bless somebody else. I can bless somebody else. He says, then God's going to bless you. Now watch this now. So let each one give as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or necessity. For God loves that you're a forgiver. Don't, don't give anything because you have to. I've never been in a church service when somebody got up and started something just because everybody else gave, I felt like I had to give. I give when God moves me to give. I'm not moved with emotion. I'm not moved with stories. I move when God tells me to get involved in that area. And I don't hold back when that comes. I don't look over my shoulder. And God is able to make all grace, oh, there's that word grace again. All empower, why would all empowerment abound towards me? So I can continue to be a giver of my time, my talent, my energy, and my finance. Then he goes on down, and he, and he talks, and, I, and I'm not going to read all of that verse. I want to go down to verse 9 again. And he talks about how he gives seed to the soil. Let's pull that up. And God is able to make, no, let's pull up to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 9. Let's pull that up. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 9. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Okay, let's look at it. It says, now, he who supplies seed to the sower, Seed to the sower. Let's look at that for a moment. What do you get out of that statement? He, he, God, supplies seed to the sower. God, give me seed. What are you giving to? If you do not have a revelation, oh, God, help me here. He's not going to give you seed for a manifestation that you don't have a revelation of. Wow. He couldn't do anything with Abram until he had the revelation. There was no manifestation until he had revelation, presentation, activation, and then he had manifestation. Now, why why are you telling me this, Bishop? Because I want you to get hold of something here. That your life is not your own, is bought with a price. And God says, the way I have created you is to be purposeful in your life, to be fruitful, multiply, and replenish. Consequently, everything you do in life should be about productivity. It should be about productivity. In other words, if I have a relationship here, it should be something that will cause her to see value but also that in that relationship, in, in coming back to me, I can receive value. Sowing and reaping. Give and give him back to you. Press down, shaking together, running over. What you make happen for others, God makes happen for you. It's important we see that. So when we move to this arena, he gives seed to the sower, but a sower is someone who is purposely involved. Oh, I just give because they said, not me, man. I got to know where it's going. What's the end result here? What are we looking for? I mean, how many of you walked into a restaurant and said, just give me one or whatever and bring me the bill? <laughs> See, you got to be careful with that. See, when I take my son to dinner, 
I got to be careful with him because he goes in and he says, I want the biggest. I want the, the biggest chop or the biggest steak or the biggest whatever, which means I'm going to have to pay for that. You understand? So I know, oh, I know it's going to mess up him. I know that when I take him to dinner and I'm going to have to pay for that, and I'm happy to do so because he's my son. No problem. I've got to believe that when I make it happen for him, God's going to have to bring something back another way or I won't be able to keep buying him those steaks. I know that sounds crazy to some of you, but, but that's the way it is. That's the way it works. Everything in life has to have a purpose. Oh, Lord. Well, I never looked at my family. Here's my family. I guess great. But I, listen, I'm not raising a bunch of renegades. I'm raising thoroughbreds. Now, I'm putting them in the race. I want them in. I want them to win. I'm, I'm not interested in riding ponies. Riding ponies just do anything, ride anywhere, do anything. No, no. They all eat the same stuff. So if I'm going to give the same stuff, I want a thoroughbred that's going to run the race. And win. I'm looking to get something out of this deal. You come in here on Sunday morning, you lift your hands, you worship God, you go home. Are you kidding me? I came to get something out of that worship today. I, I pull on this woman. I pull on her team. I pull on the musicians. I pull on them because I want something. I didn't come here to feel good. I came here to get something. Well, that's so selfish. No, that's biblical. Watch this now. How many, or how many who supply seeds and sower and bread for food? Stop right there. I was with Dr. Roberts on the plane. You heard me talk about this several years ago. And back, back when it was several years ago, it's been 20 some years ago. And we're on the plane. The first time I've ever been on the plane with Dr. Roberts sitting along with him. First time I've ever been alone with him. And I'm trying to figure out, what do you say to this great man of God? I mean, I mean how do you come up with something to make you look, so you don't look foolish? So I said to him, I thought this was a great question. I said, Dr. Roberts, what do you think is the one thing that has caused the body of Christ to fall back or miss out on what God has for them? I figured I got a good 10, 15-minute response, right? He's opening a piece of candy, a bit of honey, opens that wrapper. He didn't look at. He didn't look at me. He didn't even respond. He just opened it. All his wrappers are going like this. I'm going. Do I say anything? I don't say anything. Just that. It's that. It's that moment that you go. Oh God. <laughs> I mean, you're sitting in a, in, in, in greatness in, in, in an arena of greatness here. You and him. I got. What am I going to get out of this deal? And he looks at me, and he goes. They leave their harvest in the field, and he throws the bit of honey in his mouth. And I went, they leave their harvest in the field. What does that mean? He says, look it up for yourself. And he rolls over, and he closes his eyes, and he goes to sleep. I was so upset. I was embarrassed. And then I got angry. And I said, he's treating me like some punk kid. You know? But I went home, and I began to study. And I found this verse. Now, he may, may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for your food. And the Holy Spirit said, stop. This is where the body of Christ always leaves their harvest in the field. Is because when I begin to take them through the activation period, 
they think that's the blessing. I said, Lord, you got to give me a little better than that. He said, real simple. People will come to you and ask you to pray because they can't make their mortgage. You'll pray with them and I'll answer them by having a, a job opening or uh, some uh, check come to them they didn't know about or something like that. And they think that's the blessing. It's not the harvest. I'm just sustaining them till the harvest comes in. Most Christians, the moment they give a seed of time, talent, energy, or finance, and they have one little thing that happens, they go, oh, look at the harvest, God. That's not a harvest. Harvest is pressed down, shaken together, running over. Harvest is that which you cannot contain. Harvest is that which, which you, can't, you, can't, you can't use it all for yourself. You've got to give it to somebody else. Yeah. So I went back to Dr. Noah Roberts, and I said, I found the answer. And I shared this with him. He started laughing. He says, now you got it. The greatest heartbreak of all Christians is they settle for the food and not the miracle. Bread for food, supply and multiply the seed you have sown. He says, I'm going to feed you and take care of you while I'm multiplying your seed. God, I'm believing for a car. I, just believing, I'm believing you, and I, I've given, and I've given my, 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 my secondhand car away, and I've got this other car, but I need a new car, God, and, 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 and now, you know, I felt like I need to do something, and, and so I, I sowed this seed, and so somebody comes along and says, listen, I got this car, it's, you know, it's not, that's not a brand new car, but it'll be a blessing to you. You go, oh, God gave me a car. No, God didn't give you a car. He gave you something to ride on to your new car got here. But see, we don't believe that in the church. We, we settle for food rather than supply. Just because you've got the second-handed motion doesn't mean that you've got what God has for you. Because God, let's keep reading a little bit more. Watch this now. He'll multiply your seed you have sown, increase the fruits of your right. In other words, he's going to put you in a position that you can do it over and over and over again. Fruits of righteousness, doing what's right. Next, Go to the next verse, if you would, please, 11. While you are enriched in everything for all liberality. He's going to multiply that seed so the next time something happens, you don't have, a, you don't have to think about giving. Oh man, I can, I can be liberal with this thing because I have a revelation. When you have a revelation, you don't look at your bank statement. You look at what God said he wants you to sow. When you have a revelation, you don't look at your watch. You're looking at the time you're sowing in a person's life so you can help them. When you're believing God for a miracle, you get on your knees and you don't say, I prayed for 30 minutes. You continue to pray believing God because you want to get through to the end. We used to call it praying till you get through. But we've gotten so caught up in the world system in the church, we don't pray to get through. We pray to get by. It's okay. I love all three people. Next verse. For the administration of this service not only supplies the need of the saints, but also is abounding through many thanksgiving to God. People are going to begin to thank God that you've had a revelation of how to sow your seed of time, of talent, of energy, and of finance. They know that if they can be around you, that whatever you give them is going to be productive. What would happen if everybody you knew 
understood that when they got around you, you weren't there for chit-chat, but you were there to sow. I'm not here to talk to you about some stupid movie. Go talk to somebody else about that. You want to talk to me? We better talk about the things of God. Dr. John Evazzini, we were in a meeting. I'll never forget it. We were in a meeting. We went out to dinner with these people one night. A bunch of ministers. Musicians, please go. <clears throat> it was in a major meeting. Over 5,400 pastors were there. We were out with the inside group because we were speakers in the conference. And we sat at that dinner table for about 30 minutes, and we, they brought our meal. We ate. We got and left. We left them all sitting there. He looked at me and I looked at him. I said, or he said to me, we're not going to dinner tomorrow night. I said, no, I'm not. He said, no, we're not going. I said, I'm just curious. I know why I'm not going. You tell me why you're not going because you're my mentor. He said, I'm not going because they talk about anything but what God, the kingdom of God. He said, I got nothing out of that meal but a bunch of gossip and a bunch of talk and a bunch of nonsense. And he says, I don't, he says, at my age, I don't have time to waste on these people. Make sure the people you hang out with is productive. If it's not the ground you can sow in, then you better just say, catch you later. It's been a great day. Or as they used to say in Bible college, shikamosha, pass me on by. I ain't got time for this. I just don't have time to sit around and, and collaborate on something that is meaningless. You don't tell jokes? I don't mind jokes as long as the jokes are not the center. See, I'm not telling not to tell a joke. I, I'm, I, I don't mind talking to somebody about different things as long as it's not the center. But if my relationship with you is based upon nonsense, I don't have a relationship with you. We leave our harvest in the field. And if we're going to not do that, then we've got to learn to do something. We've got to learn. The believer's responsibility is to chase away the vultures. The Bible says, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, Satan is the prince in power of the air. He operates in the hearts and the spirit of the disobedient. Wow. 1 Peter 5, 8, Satan is as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. John 10, 10, the thief does not come but to steal. I love that terminology. I was looking at it this morning. It just kind of resonated in me again. The thief does not come but to steal, kill, and destroy. He's only there for one reason. I said he's only there for one reason. I said he's only there for one reason. But we're in the world, but not of the world. And so we get around this stuff, and while we use this as an illustration, you've got to learn to chase the vultures away. You've you, you got to learn to, that, that when you hear that nonsense, you just got to go, I'm not listening to that. I, I, get out of it. You're going to have to learn to look at your TV and go, shut you off. Turn you off. You're going to have to learn in the parking lot when the parking lot prophets come up and go, just shut up. I don't need to hear your prophecy. I was in church today. Shut up. 
Leave me alone. You're about to steal what God. The worst thing that happens is you come to church, you hear the word of God, you get inspired, you walk out, and a parking lot prophet comes up, and you totally forget everything that went on in the service. Stay away from parking lot prophets. Oh, but they're godly. Stay away from parking lot prophets. But they love God. Stay away from parking lot prophets. But they love me. Stay away because parking lot prophets are only in the parking lot because they're not recognized in the church. Hello. No man or woman comes in this pulpit that is not submitted to another authority. I refuse to let someone speak in this platform that does not have somebody else that they are held accountable by because I need to know that they are an accepted prophet or prophetess of God and they are under authority. Therefore, that we can listen to what they say and it will be profitable. If they are not, I'm not listening to them. Several years ago, we made the decision to quit bringing in some of the national speakers because they're not under authority. And if you're listening to someone that has no authority that they're accountable to, get ready because they're going to hurt you in the long run. I don't care how good they teach. I don't care how many books they sold. I don't care what you think about them or the world thinks about them. If they are not under a spiritual authority of some kind, you had better leave the parking lot prophet exactly where they are. Turn them off the TV. Turn them off the radio. Quit listening to them on Facebook. Just shut them out of your life and say, get away from me, you vulture. You cannot have what God has for me. Someone came to me the other week. They said, you know so-and-so? I said, yeah, I know. Man, I love their teaching. I said, they're great teaching. Boy, they're solid. Yeah, I know they're solid. What are you telling me? Man, I listen to them all the time. I said, then why are you in my church? Why are you in my church? I'm just curious. Why are you here? I don't have time to compete. They're not living in our society. They're not living in our community. They're not dealing with what we're dealing with. They're not dealing with the same problems we're dealing with. And while they're teaching truths, their truths are not relevant many times. Well, you, you're telling me you don't want me. I didn't say I didn't want you in my church. I'm just saying I can't have double-mindedness and expect this church to change South Florida because you're double-minded. I'm not saying we have all the right answers. We don't. But we have the answers that you need or God wouldn't have put you here. And I'm not telling you not to be inspired by listening to somebody, but don't make them your priority. I mean, you get into stuff here. And I, I, know, I know I'm not making a lot of friends today. That's the reason next week, you know, let the young guys thrill you. I'm the, I'm the disciplinarian, I guess. I don't know. I'm not telling you not to support ministries. I'm not telling you not to give to other ministries. We do. What I'm saying is when the other ministries become your priority in your giving, you don't need to be in this church. Because where your giving is is where your heart is. 
oh, I'm, I know, I know I'm not walking, I'm on thin ice and it's a little bit cracking a little bit, a little water's coming up. That's okay. Jesus walked on the water. I'm trying to be honest this morning. I, I'm telling you, God's taken this church. We had a freedom offering that says this, that we're in a season of manifestation. I want everyone here, I want your marriages restored. I want your bodies, nothing broken, nothing missing, nothing lost. I want your economics in order so that you can not only just pay your bills, but you can be a blessing to other people. I want your witness to be so strong that when you walk into a place, people stop and turn and go, what is that? Because you carry such an anointing upon your life. But we're not going to get there playing these games. Somewhere, sometime, we got to look at this thing and confront the elephant in the room in the church. Say, you're just trying to make everybody stay here. No, I'm not. If you're not called here, leave. But if this is your church, I'm talking to you as your pastor, as your shepherd. I care about you. I can't tell you how many people have lost and fallen by the wayside. Where I wouldn't preach this kind of stuff or say these kind of things before. But I'm saying it now because I'm not going to lose another soldier in the army. And you're going to have to learn to take your vulture chaser and learn what is of God for your life and what isn't. And if it's, it doesn't mean it's not good. Oh, Lord, it doesn't mean that what they're doing is not good. It's good. It's just not you. I love to sing. You don't want to hear me. My voice is not for you. I'm being honest with you. But we get caught up in all of these things and instead of saying, wait a minute, it's good, but it's not for me. Just go away. Because if I get involved in that, it spreads me to a point that I'm no longer effective. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. How's he going to do it? He's going to do it by getting you so caught up with so many things, you're ineffective. Get your vulture chaser out. Learn to know what's not for you. doesn't mean it's, it's not godly. It's just not for you. Just not for you. Church at Corinth, church at Macedonia, where he's talking about with the giving, but when he wrote this letter, Corinth was a place, it was the third or fourth largest city in the empire, the Roman Empire, Greek Empire. It was one of the richest cities. Commerce came from all over through that city. Paul built a church. In it, they, were, they didn't have a building like this. They had little groups, cell groups, home groups, whatever. But then they began to compete with one another. Then they began to say, this one's great, and this one's great, and this one's great. And Paul had to write a second letter to correct them. It was a scathing letter of correction. He said, because what you're doing here in the church is you're missing your potential. Quit competing with one another. Start fulfilling that which God's called you to do where he's called you to be. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
That's the reason I can celebrate ministries all over this county. Because the people in their churches, God called them there. I can celebrate them there, fine. But here in this church, if you're called here, folks, listen, I'm telling you right now, get your vulture chaser out because the enemy will try and pull you this way, that way, which way, every way you go hear this speaker, go hear that speaker. Oh, go to this place, hear this prophecy. This person had a word of God for you. Get involved in this thing. Get involved in this. Oh, th- this is a real quality thing. This is helping people. Don't you want to help people? Get out of here. You know that statement is to me? Don't you want to help people? Is that I'm not helping people. What world are you living in? I'm already helping people. You're trying to get me into something God didn't call me into. Leave me alone. Get away from me. I'm trying to reach our world with life. I'm trying to reach the world and let them know that God is a good God, that God loves them, that God's going to bless them. I'm trying to let them know if God before them, who can be against them? I'm trying to let them know they're above and not below. They're seated with Jesus. I'm trying to let them know in this part of the body of Christ, they're going to walk in victory. They're going to have success that nothing's going to hold them back, that they're going to be blessed and they're coming in and then they're going out. I'm going to be healthy and wealthy and wise and full of the Holy Ghost. In this house, the power of God is going to release you to be what He's called you to be in the name of Jesus. Thank you for listening. We trust that what you heard today has encouraged you to live the abundant life. For more information about our ministry, please visit us on our website, AbundantLife.tv, or follow us on Instagram at AbundantLife underscore TV and Facebook at Come to Life. And remember, God is a good God. He loves you and He wants to bless you.